Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson. Today, my guest is a pro wrestler, DJ, pro wrestling manager, and author. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Kenny Casanova. Thank you, sir, for coming on today. You forgot to mention swarthy, handsome individual. Thank you. I'll do that, though. You can do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about (laughs) your trademark facial expression. Oh, this? Yes. (laughs) How did that come about? So, all right. So that's a long story. And I've been doing it since 93, maybe Mm -hmm. 1993 or something. So if you look at any pictures of mine after that, I almost always do it in every picture. Yeah. Uh, Well, so... So back when I was coming up with the character, um, I started as a wrestling, actually as a wrestler, but I chose wrestling manager over that because I figured I could move longer um, in that direction. Uh, We thought about video games. You know how video games, like when a guy's not moving, he has a stance. And my thought was is, well, uh, my guy should be a little bit afraid, a little bit, uh, you know, cowardly. So that is like a deer in headlights look, (laughs) right? And also... If you look, other wrestlers have used it in the past. Um, more scary type gimmicks. So picture Smash and Demolition. Demolition. Yeah. Smash. Yeah. When Axe is, when Smash says, tell him Axe, and Axe is like, I'm going to come and get you, Powers of Pain. And then you got Smash in the background going, like he was doing that face. So that was one thing <laughs> I remember early on that some wrestlers made that face to try to either. Uh, mock the other wrestler or you know um show some kind of fear um i think another guy used to do it too uh uh you know nwo would kind of go yeah 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 yeah. too sweet like this too i think (laughs) background they would do kind of like this while uh, the other guy was talking yeah yeah so um yeah so i just kind of took that and i said i'm gonna do it everywhere though i'm gonna kill it every shot i'm gonna do it in and basically there were very few without me doing that yeah (laughs) Yeah, there's not. I mean, I've funny, seen... funny question. I don't think anyone's asked me that before, but they see it and they go, "What the hell is that? Be that? <laughs> is it is it duck lips?" And I'm not really going, like, I'm not really doing that now. Right, but, right, yeah. yeah. So cool question. <laughs> no, I, I just I was interested. Every most photos I see of you, you you have that facial expression, and and 
<laughs> I, I just want to know. I've, I've, like I said earlier before we got on here, I watched a couple podcasts with you with other podcasters, and you got a lot yep. of interesting stories. But I didn't hear that question, so I was like, I'm going to ask that question. <laughs> there you go. That's good. All right, so let's talk a little bit uh, growing up uh, and getting into the business. Where did you grow up, and and and, and how did you get into get into the business? So, okay, so my, I grew up in a lot of little places. I was born in Danville, Pennsylvania, moved over to Haverhill, Mass, moved to Fall River, Mass, moved to Binghamton, and then moved to Albany, New York. My dad was uh, a minister for the Salvation Army. Oh, and uh, uh, kind of like, a, you know, like a Baptist uh, type minister. And uh, they would move him around to wherever uh, the... The actual officers is what they called them of the Salvation Army uh, did their best work. So he was really good at the Christmas, you know, the kettlebell ringing that you would see. Yeah. So um, he, he raised a lot of money for different areas. So they bumped him around where it needed it sometime. For me, it kind of sucked because it meant that I was in a bunch of different schools yeah. and meeting, you know, uh, new kids that I wanted to be my friends and I would have to do stuff to kind of stand out. So that's kind of maybe where I developed my sense of humor, you know, from mm-hmm. a class clown kind of situation, wanting to be known. Um, I was in, uh, was I in two, one, two, no, I was in three different high schools, which sucks. Oh. You know, you only have four years. So, yeah. um, you know, and also wasn't all that good with, with the ladies because as a kid, um, you know, you're a little bit shy and then being the new kid, putting that on top of it. So I think the Kenny Casanova character came out of the ideas. I, you know, I'm not all that much of a ladies man at the, you know, at the time I was thinking of, you know, younger, um, but it would be funny to what if, uh, a, you know, a nerdy dude was. So um, <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. Um, in my, let me think, uh, uh, let's say 97, 1987, I uh, had an opportunity to sell tickets and go to an after show with Captain Lou Albano for an independent wrestling show where he ripped off the promotion's name of WWWF. Um, it, it wasn't WWF early days, but he called yeah. it that. And it had all kinds of people there. It had Tony Atlas, uh, um, Colonel De Beers, Samoan SWAT team, Misty Blue, a lot of that era. Yeah. Um, and anyhow, I got to talking to him back in 88, and we were eating chicken wings together, and he's eating the knuckle, the bottom part off off the... <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, oh, man, you know, and he got a kick out of grossing me out, so we got talking a little bit, and I thought it'd be neat to be a manager, you know, or maybe a wrestler, and um, come, I would say, six or seven years later, I was running a comic book store. One of the guys was going to go to uh, a training school, and I said, let me tag along with you, so that's how it kind of all started. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Captain Lou Albano. Yeah. <laughs> All started with him. I yeah, remember him as cool, a kid. Man. Yeah, he, he was yeah. a great, great manager. I don't know about you, but I think the managerial part of the business today is a lost art. Because the only one I really know is, you know, he's not, he's Paul Heyman and he's called yep. the advocate or. Yeah. You know, and it isn't really I think, you know, I, Vince doesn't like the name. He doesn't like the the word manager. So they always come up with something to call him, you know, associate or what have you. Uh, yeah. Vince, I think has always wanted his product to look not Memphis, even though he's, you know, it's kind of cartoony, but they didn't want that manager idea. And a lot of times, like even today, like he 
frowns upon guys coming in who sound Southern. Like, I guess AJ side a little rough start because he thought he seemed too Southern. Didn't want to be that wrestling is, is the thing that he, yeah. he tries to stay away from. So maybe that's why managers kind of get kicked to the wayside a little bit. I've thought, but yeah, they were my favorite too. They were the mouthpiece. They were the instigators. Yeah. They were the oh, bad yeah. guys that created the good guys. So uh, yeah. that's the, yeah. that's the route I wanted to go. Well, that's good. So when you, let's talk about you managing, you managed some guys uh, in the independents uh, that were well-known uh, when they were in the big time and then they went down, they went to the Indies. What was that like for you? Imagine like yeah. uh, Bundy. Uh, That's just, pretty cool. I mean, to get, yeah. I mean, who, I mean, did you have a lot of interaction? I mean, did you guys go over, I don't know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to trip this guy. So, I mean, gonna... I guess, yeah, I'd like to say that uh, I, got, I got to manage a lot of the guys coming up and a lot of the guys coming down, the people who kind of left the promotion, you know, the big stuff, New York, yeah. WCW. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, it froze yeah. for a second there. Um, yeah, so, and the good thing about getting to work with your heroes, you know, you finally get to meet them, get to hang out with them a little bit, see what they're like. Mm-hmm. Um, they had already had rough uh, you know, schedules and now it's a little bit lighter in the independence. So when they could take advantage of not having to kill themselves, the manager could step in and do the bumps and do some of the crazy stuff and take some of the heat off of them. So yeah. getting to work with some of what you would call the legends or like the old timers um, yeah. was pretty neat because they would figure out a way uh, to show uh, themselves still shining, but using, you know, that extra added prop, which would be me. And um, uh, quite often I would get a lot of extra spotlight too, because uh, I was willing to drive back then. A lot of, a lot of guys would just do one little independent in the mid nineties and that was it. They'd stay in the area, but I jumped around and did a bunch of stuff. So I would become familiar with a lot of, uh, you know, the the classic wrestlers that we grew up with and um, they'd give me more spots and they also taught me a lot of stuff. So um, I learned a lot about the entertainment world. Yeah, let's talk. Working with them. Let's kind of expand on that if we can. You're, you talk about traveling and uh, driving. I mean, I, I'm assuming you drove those guys uh, to their shows, or and, and probably not always. Not always. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, not always. Sometimes. A lot of times, if uh, I was close to the promoter, the promoter would ask me to grab them if they were on the way from somewhere here or there. So I rode with a lot of different people, but. Yeah. Um, in many occasions, I was driving up with other uh, local talents from my area that were more, um, you know, mid-carter kind of status. Yeah. So, Do you have any uh, outlandish story? Am I like locking up on you there? A little bit. That's okay. That's all right. It comes and goes. I don't know if it's on my hand or yours. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Weird. Yeah. Uh weird story yeah like, just uh, an outlandish like, one or something just something that, that just pops in your mind let me think um i don't know maybe hanging out with eddie guerrero in the mall and uh people coming up to him and and you know uh uh recognizing him after he left wwe at the time and we went to um uh, WWA was a promotion in Massachusetts by run by a guy named Mike Sparta, who was uh, the brother of a referee named Freddie Sparta, old referee in WWF. Um, they were kind of using that area for 
um, uh, you know, like a testing ground. And mm-hmm. I think they sent Eddie over to Sparta's promotion um, to give him some work while he was, uh, I don't know, maybe he failed a drug test or something. He was gone for a quick, short um, handful of months. Yeah. Uh, Tom Pritchard was was backstage as the, one of the agents. Sal Sincere was one of the bookers. Um, and uh, I'm hanging out with Eddie and we're driving around with him, you know, and he's he, he would get a bunch of chicken and look at it and say, oh, this is fatty. I'm really picky. I can't eat it, you know, and um, I realized, you know, how important diet with some of these guys that are you know super lean and um really tv ready and uh i just remember him doing hulk hogan and rick flair impersonations of the back of my car (laughs) when we were driving and he was getting a kick out of just trying to like uh you know pop the other couple of guys that were in the car with me yeah and um and when we got out of the car eddie let me take your bags brother and he was taking the bags for us i i don't know why I don't know if it was a rib on us or <laughs> he was just showing he was thankful for the last <laughs> um, That's kind of a funny story I haven't told before in here. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Hey, let's talk a little bit about um, Kendra Casanova. The gig you did as the ladies? Jeez, um, you're really getting into my past. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I saw it on there. I was like, I did, is this right? <laughs> <laughs> handful of times um, I'd get booked to wrestle women as a joke. It's almost like the uh, Andy Kaufman kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to I'm gonna show up and rather than just totally bury Kenny Casanova, I'll say, hey, it ain't even me. It's Kendra Casanova, my yeah. sister. Later on, many years later, they did something similar with Santino. I don't know if you remember that. He did, I don't know if her name was Santina or whatever, (laughs) but he kind of came out and dragged and wrestled. It was a similar type thing. Um, But yeah, I I did the whole, and I left the goatee, so you could definitely see this this is a bunch of crap. I wore, um, I think, my wife's um, prom dress. It was like a green, ugly prom dress with like a little yellow shirt underneath. It was pretty, pretty ugly, hideous thing, and uh, uh, the, the promoters got a kick out of it. I got a number of ladies championship title runs. <laughs> That's a, yeah. So, you, you won a couple titles if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I beat, uh, Misty Hyatt, uh, Miss Patricia, who was like, kind of like a valet for the blue meanie, uh, Miss DeVille. She's a good friend of mine. She's got a book coming out soon. Um, number of different people. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a funny thing. Yeah. When <laughs> I, I was read trained that, to wrestle, yeah, you know, so I could do it. But um, again, I like doing the managing stuff. Um, uh, at five eleven, I'm kind of big, but I'm not, you know, giant. So I always figured, yeah, I looked better next to some of the big guys back then. These days, that doesn't even apply as much because they're all different sizes, and yeah. most of a lot of the guys end up being smaller than me these days, which I think is kind of funny. But yeah, just how things turned out eventually once cruiserweights kind of got pushed in WCW and Lucha and all. Yeah, you know, on American television. But yeah, which promotion did you like working for the best? I mean, as far as treating you. Uh, giving you opportunities uh was there any particular one that you're like you know i really enjoyed working for 
so other than ones that I had my hand in promoting, because I also helped to promote a lot for okay. uh, a promotion called New Breed Wrestling, upstate New York, and also kind of a sister promotion to that world of hurt wrestling. Um, those, I mean, I kind of had my hands in the writing and stuff in the back too. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I would say Frank Goodman was pretty, uh, he's now in Florida, but he was New York City called USA Power Pro Wrestling. Um, he used to put me in with a bunch of different guys. I got to work with King Kong Bundy, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Rocco Rock there, um, a number of different people, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, um, a lot of big names and stuff. And we was getting a pretty good uh, opportunity there. So um, yeah. I guess him. All right. Uh, let's talk about your DJing uh, a little bit. Uh, what is uh, What do you do okay. for that? I mean, do you do weddings? Do you do shows do you do clubs or yeah uh okay so let's see i guess a good way to uh transition the character into djing um would be to show the evolution of that so uh, again i was kind of a nerdy uh kind of character tried to dress like a lounge lizard that eventually turned into (laughs) um hey why don't you sing some karaoke after the show then I worked that into my gimmick. So I started singing karaoke and I'd sing uh, karaoke tracks along the karaoke tracks uh, as I brought a wrestler to the ring, you know, and I would pick the worst stuff possible, like Britney Spears, you know, like Madonna, stuff that a guy would not like, you know, do well with singing no matter what. Yeah. And I would get more heat that way. Uh, so eventually then people would say, hey, can you come do karaoke at my party? We'll book you for that. So I hooked up with one of the sound guys, and for a short time, we figured out how to do karaoke. And then I got a bar gig. Then the bar gig turned into, hey, can you DJ my wedding? And it, it actually pulled me out of the sport because as a wrestling manager, you know, making a couple hundred bucks, I was never the huge talent, yeah. um, a couple yeah. hundred bucks at most, sometimes $50, sometimes a hot dog and a handshake, you know. Uh, but then when you start DJing a wedding, you're making $1,000. And there are all those weddings are on the same dates as these events. So uh, that pulled me into DJing. And then many, many Saturdays, I'd start taking those gigs instead of wrestling because it just paid really well. Yeah. And to get back into wrestling, then that would transition me over into how I became a writer, uh, you know, writing the books. So it all kind of there's a there's a semblance of order to how it progressed. Yeah. You know, it went from wrestler into wrestler that sings karaoke uh, manager kind of thing into uh, wedding DJ and doing school events and you know even sporting events and stuff, but not really available for wrestling shows. Mm-hmm. And then saying, "Geez, I want to still have my hand in the business a little bit." And then I start talking to some of the old wrestlers again that I had worked with and offer book yeah. deals and stuff to help out. So, all right. Well, I got another, uh, another thing. I, I also <laughs> know understand what, when I watched that podcast earlier that you're a, a English teacher. Is that that right yeah so uh yeah it's always good to have i always say you know a backup plan right and my backup plan was um to be an english teacher you know it was i had an interest in writing Uh, i was pretty creative uh uh, back in high school i did pretty well in english classes so i think what turned me on to the idea is one time uh, an english teacher brought a bunch of jazz artists in for us to write poetry over the music too and we had like this little event Mm-hmm. And to see something that I had written performed by others was something I found pretty rewarding and pretty cool. So 
Um, and you can also see how that might relate to the wrestling and the DJing and, and everything, you know, the creativity yeah. side of things. So um, all along, I've always stayed an English teacher and that paid the bills better than, um, you know, weekend warrior type stuff. Yeah. Um, then again, I mean, I had, I had little options where maybe I could have really pursued doing the wrestling thing, but it was so risky that I said, uh, if that ever comes and I go to work, you know, for like, um, WWE or something like that, it would have to be an offer that would surpass what I'm doing now. And then, yeah. you know, eventually it moved to like, you had to move to Florida and really like, um, you know, up everything. And I wasn't willing to do that. So that's why yeah. uh, the other things kind of, I did pretty well with that stuff. Who knows if I went the other way and really pushed for it. I probably could have gotten a couple of years, but like you said, Vince isn't a big fan of the thing that, that um, I did. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. Um, writing. So you've written some books, some good ones. Uh, what is cool. Thank you. With uh, Tito Santana, uh, Sabu, uh, Kamala. Uh, there's some others. Uh, sure. How, for, how did you get a hold of these guys? I mean, was it, was it difficult <laughs> to say to get a hold of them? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes uh, reaching out to some of these wrestlers, it's, it's, it's a challenge. They, uh, especially, you know, I don't have a lot of contact. I have to use so, uh, social media. Right. Yeah, I go ahead. It. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't interrupt you there. No, it broke up a little bit. So I wasn't sure if you were done or not. Okay. Once in a while I'm getting these flags. So, yeah. um, but anyhow, the, um, the funny thing with that was, um, you know, I expect to do it. I had a, a sci-fi book that I was working on uh, called Tag, kind of like um, you have to go uh, into a time loop. You're, uh, you have to go in the past, find yourself and touch yourself to jump back in the same time loop. It was, it was kind of a neat idea, um, but I was quickly learning that when people invest in you as a writer, um, you don't make as many sales. You don't get many, as many eyes um, unless you already have an established audience for that. Yeah. So um, to do nonfiction, you're going to sell a whole heck lot more uh, copies because there's a built-in audience, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. if I was going to write sci-fi, people would have to already want to buy the Kenny Casanova sci-fi work, and they don't know what it is, so they don't invest. But if they um, if they know who Big Van Vader is, or they know who Danny Davis, the evil ref from WrestleMania three, is, there's a little yeah. bit of a built-in audience there already, and right. wrestling fans are super loyal, yeah. as you know. That's probably why people in this right now you know yeah. um if they are so um being able to write that nonfiction made sense to me so i i put that that sci-fi book aside when i heard that kamala who i had played kimchi for a number of times in the northeast oh, um man. had lost yeah uh he had lost both of his legs to diabetes and i said uh. hey man uh, you know this is horrible maybe we could just write a you know your book and put it out and you can use it to help with medical costs and and he said, Kenny, that sounds like a good idea. It's uh, <laughs> like, but uh, these days, you know, uh, there's a lot. I've been screwed over by a lot of people. I don't know if people know that's Kamala's like. I didn't know that until right now. Like, so, yeah. A lot of people look, look at Kamala and think he's, you know, uh, uh, you know, a big, angry, um, you know, crazy guy from yeah. Uganda. Uganda, uh, yeah. But, yeah, but uh, no, um, 
he kind of talks slow, probably even slower than that, more like in there. And he's from <laughs> Mississippi. Uh-huh. Right? He was located uh, Mississippi and did a lot of Memphis stuff. Jerry the King Lawler helped him come up with the gimmick. But anyhow, so I, I told him that. And he said, well, been screwed by a lot of promoters, so I want you to talk to who I would consider my financial advisor. And I'm like, all right, I'll give the guy a call and see what he thinks. And I call it up. And it's the bird man, Coco Beware. And oh, wow. like, oh, Kenny, you should do a good job for Kamala. I think you do a good job. Just put a little high energy into that pussy. We'll do fine, you know. But treat him like he's somebody's grandfather because he is. And don't screw him over. And I, I said, all right, man, let's write the book. And uh, this will be my first one. So I'm just going to give him all the money. And we'll make it a fundraiser. And it did pretty yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably not my best writing because here – 400 pages times maybe seven books later, I've gotten mm. better at writing, yeah. you know, uh, and I can write a book quicker. I think uh, these guys, these days when the guys are on board, uh, yeah. did really well. And that kind of kick started me off with, uh, you know, the writing. I was going to tell you, I also heard on another one that you, you wrote two books at the same time and I, <laughs> I don't know how you did that because I, if it was me, I'd be getting confused on one book from the other as far as the characters and getting lost and yeah. trying to remember stuff. How, I mean, how the heck did you do that? Well, uh, I'm writing three at the same time now, but oh. uh, uh, and I also have three, and I also have three others that I'm kind of producing. So there's actually kind of six in the works right now. Um, but uh, the reason two came out at the same time before was that I was I was working on Big Van Vader's mm-hmm. and um, he got diagnosed. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Rest right. in peace. Yeah. Um, he got a, a diagnosis of two years to live because of congestive heart disorder. And um, we were kind of on and off and going back and fixing it up. And we had to change a big part of his book after we were about half done or more. And he got that diagnosis because he wanted to change some of the tone of the book. You don't want to um, clean it up. You don't want to crap all over a guy, you right. know, that maybe you weren't friendly with and didn't close ties with, um, you know, or have some kind of closure with and put that in your book and then pass away and never have been able to fix something like that. So we went back and cleaned up some stuff, uh, some areas that, you know, uh, he thought if this comes out post-mortem, um, you know, I would never be able to fix some kind of heat, you know, so... I was going back and fixing that up and Vader himself is difficult to work with. And everybody, in, including um, himself would tell you that would tell you that. Um, so like that took four years to, to write. Oh, wow. um, and, and as that, he would call he would say, Hey, you know, a couple of times I'd be like, geez, I haven't talked to him in six months. You know, I'm still writing and doing a little research here and there. I would check in on him and, and I, I freak out a little bit. I'm like, dude, are we still like doing this book or what? <laughs> He'd come back and say, listen, we'll get it done. It's like, brother, we'll get it done. He's like, but if I go dark, I go dark. He's like, just let me go dark for a while. We'll get it done. I'm like, all right. And he did. We got it done. Yeah. Um, you know, but in the meanwhile, I was writing another one. That's when I was writing Sabu. And those two books, um, I guess, uh, I don't know if you know him. Kevin Gill was a, a co-host of the Keeping It 100 podcast. And he's done some commentary for a number of different promotions um mm-hmm. he's the he was the promoter for a long time for icp's wrestling juggalos 
Um, he put it over funny. I hadn't thought of it before. He's like, Kenny Casanova dropped two books at the same time. He's like, you know, uh, musicians do that with albums. He's like, but I've never seen two books come out. Uh, he's right. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, we put Sabu and Big, Big Van Vader out, and that was competition for myself to some degree. Yeah. But um, yeah. I guess that's kind of neat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it is, that is different. neat. Yeah. Yeah. So what was uh, – you have several books. What was the uh, the one that you found – most interesting and most uh not, i wouldn't say easy to write but most that you could write with you know i guess yeah pleasure uh, i like maybe. the danny davis book yeah i think i like the danny davis book because um i wrote that one differently we wrote that with taking his life and making it into a uh more of like a young adult novel more so okay. than an autobiography so there's yeah. a clear message there's a clear beginning middle and end it follows a character arc um uh, what we did was we picked out all these different occurrences that happened throughout his life and we cut out stuff that didn't fit um the narrative of a um, of a novel you know right. uh, i wanted i wanted to climb i wanted to have a, a clear climax i wanted to to be somewhat of a hero journey the mm -hmm. message we wanted to put in that was through uh, um, hard work, um, a good work ethic. Uh, you can make something of yourself um, and you know when to stop. And all of that um, seemed to work out pretty well in the book. It's not the most popular book that I put out. Um, and it's yeah. not the longest book that I put out. It was, mm -hmm. I think it's the shortest one. It's probably it about 250 pages where most of my stuff I shoot for 400 plus. Yeah. Um, but... I kind of like the message and I like the idea of being able to write more. If, I, I don't want to call it fiction, but the way we wrote it, it's mm -hmm. sort of fiction, you know, um, yeah. in that we wanted it to look like a, a story. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I remember old uh, Danny Davis, the ref, when I was – yeah, you know, young guy, <laughs> younger guy. Uh, oh, he had a lot of heat for a short time. He oh yeah, he about. was. Oh yeah, they. Yeah. He talked. He, yeah. You know, he got a lot of heat, and uh, yeah, that was where the good times. That's. I wanted to talk to you about that wrestling today versus when like we were kids and yeah. watching it. Uh, to me, I see a huge difference. Uh, I don't. What, what is your take on it? What, what, what are the things that you think maybe, uh, I guess the word lacking, if you watch it, I don't know if you even watch it anymore. Or yeah, so. no, I, I try. I'm, I've been watching more AEW and I, yeah. And, and, it, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, but okay. So the two things that I think WWE are lacking now, not that I'm uh, an expert, but one, it's too freaking much programming. I think one key that would help, and they'll never do it because of all of those commercials they can sell during, you know, three plus two plus one or two, whatever it is, hours a week. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. man, if they could cut that back down to, you know, one or two good hours and uh, then maybe, you know, how they used to do the magazine programs in the weekend, you know, showing some of the house shows and stuff in this to, to really pro to promote one big show, yeah. um, you know, during the week. Um, oops. Hold on here. I got a call coming in during an interview. Let's see if I can. There we go. Okay. So, um, 
that's weird. I haven't had that happen before. But then again, <laughs> I don't usually do on the phone here. Um, but yeah, that's one thing. They got to cut programming. There's too much. And yeah. that would also probably help the quality because you, you know, if you've got all of this time to fill, that you're putting some stuff in there that's not quality. You have to. It's watered down, right? The yeah. other thing is, is I think they're afraid to make one name surpass the brand. They're pushing yeah. the brand. They want WWE to be the big thing that everyone pays for, not Hulk Hogan, not John Cena, not Undertaker, not a marquee name. They've even said this, I think, in, in investor interviews, that they don't want to create a new Stone Cold office, Austin or a new Rock. They have to pay big money and then see their investment go out the door when he leaves. You yeah. know, but if you think about it, by not creating that big name, there's not one reason to turn in. Um, there's just a bunch of little smaller reasons to tune in every week. Yeah. And whenever they have these big events, they're relying on these guys that are pushed past their prime. Now they're calling back Goldberg. Yes. Who, um, yes. Who, uh, you know, who is no longer, uh, you know, a young guy that can do all the stuff that he used to do, or they called back the undertaker for many years. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I'd say just take one guy and push him to the moon. And uh, when you got that new star again, because they knew how to do it back in the day, and I'm sure they could use that formula. Um, maybe they'd create a reason and a new star, you know, and if he leaves, he leaves and create a new one. I, I don't agree with the way that they write it these days. And a lot of it probably has to do with ego and stuff. So um, yeah. I don't know. I, I agree. It's, there's not a lot of storytelling anymore. They don't build up a, right. a wrestler. They, they, cause they have a pay-per-view every month. You can't really, yep. to me, build up somebody and then say, you know, in a month, Oh yeah, you're going to wrestle so-and-so. And then it kind of dies yeah. off. It's kind of All a right. loss. It's a lost art to me as well. So I, yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. And I watch AEW. Um, and I think it's a good alternate. I don't watch yeah. WWE too much anymore. It's just uh, getting too yeah. cartoonish and, and uh, commercial uh, for me. I mean, I watch it once in a while, but um, so you got a lot of, you're juggling a lot of things right now from what I've understand. Uh, you know, you're writing a bo- uh, some books, you're a teacher you got a family. Uh, how do you juggle all that? <laughs> Cause that's a, a lot of stuff. It's tough. And, you know, sometimes I get, uh, I'd say, I don't want to say that like uh, there's anything to worry about, but I get a little bit like anxiety. Like I can't finish all of this stuff all at once. And it bothers me. Yeah. You know, right now I'm working on uh, finishing up Justin Credible's book, which yeah. should be, be pretty cool because it does aldo the member um of the click for a bit you know so it's got a lot of that stuff in it um mm-hmm. you know so but sometimes um and i think any author will tell you this once you get to do it hitting these guys up with a lot of interviews come your 20th or your 30th interview it's kind of like pulling teeth and you're asking stuff um you know that is just maybe not super interesting yeah um at some point so uh some things log on so that's why maybe we put off to the side then i start um odbs from uh you know from impact uh, yeah 
female wrestler. Yeah. I'm working on her book because Mick Foley asked me as a favor. He's like, I wrote forwards for your book. Could you write her book? Yeah. And I'm that's... like, yes, oh, okay, yeah. She wasn't really my first pick, but um, she's got a story and it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. So I'm working on that, and I'm also working on the Good Brothers book. Okay. Uh, you know, Luke Gallows and yeah. uh, Carl Anderson. Carl I gotta Anderson. say, Gallows is a mind for the business, man. He's yeah, yeah. Luke Gallows is super smart. You know, he's handling yeah. most of the book stuff with me right now. Yeah. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks, you know, and I start getting a little bit antsy. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. hard. It is tough to juggle all this stuff. Um, at the yeah. same time, the last two years trying to help um a guy named uh kirk bushner put out shabo guerrero senior's book and it's oh, about okay. done um also helping um a guy that did a ton of comic book stuff a guy named john krauth i'm helping him with a knob of his first autobiography buddy um and also uh a couple side projects ken patera's book uh curtis hughes book yeah. um yeah and uh, another guy, Herb Abrams, um, it's not for Herb Abrams because obviously he's gone, but I'm helping, yeah. him, write, uh, helping him with his first um, book. So yeah. it's tough, you know, and I might not talk to a couple of these guys for two or three weeks. And yeah. I get, I sort of get nervous because I'm yeah. trying to help the project along. Yeah. You know? So it's yeah. a lot of stuff. But in the end, it's super cool to see this stuff finally yeah. come out. Um, it's rewarding. So, yeah. Ken Patera, I did a podcast with him uh, about three months ago. And that guy, he he is such a wealth of knowledge and experience and, um, you know, great guy. uh, Had a lot of interesting conversations with him. And that book, that book, I know because you do it right. I know it'll be a dang good book and I'll be looking for it when it's, when it's published. And that's the thing. We got a newer guy working on it. His name is Simon Gregory. And um, he doesn't write as fast as me. So <laughs> like, I, you know, if he's, if he hears anything, I'm like, get, get to write in that book, man. I mean, he's got probably <laughs> 50 to 75 pages, but it, it's taken him a year and a half or so. I think he started, you know, working on it. So uh, you'd be done with it. Hopefully, you get some more done, and we get that come out. Yeah, I probably would. Usually <laughs> about a year or so, I try to get stuff yeah. round up, but yeah. I try anyways. But all right, are there any projects, yeah. other things you're working on right now? I mean, I, I got, got a lot of coloring books that we put out. A guy named Peter Bregman. Uh, uh, our collaborative effort is called Bled Time Stories, sort of like okay. bedtime stories, but bled bleeding. Yeah. And uh, we, we have a Cactus Jack one. It's called Cactus Jack at the Beanstalk. We got Demolition cool. on Mars. Um, we have uh, Sabu versus the Three Pigs. And now <laughs> we have... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically the idea is it's a coloring book, uh, sort of like a comic book. Um, and it's it pits the wrestlers versus fairy tales or like, yeah. like uh, you know, bedtime stories. Uh, yeah. So then the newest one, we just... Um, finished writing and we're putting the art to now it's called goodzilla and it's the good brothers luke gallows and carl anderson fighting godzilla but yeah. uh, a goodzilla version <laughs> yeah. that makes sense, but. you talked about luke gallows a little bit earlier uh i don't know do you know matt davis um davis. Yeah. he's a he's Sorry. out in georgia he's a he works with bill after and them and anyway i had a podcast oh. with him about a week yeah, ago. yeah no i do know yeah yeah i do bald guy yeah, goatee uh, yeah he does stuff with, with luke yeah Yep. And he yeah, had yeah. an interview with Luke. Yep. Um, 
and you were right. I mean, the guy was just cool. spitting off a bunch of stuff about wrestling that, you know, his character, you'd think, yeah, you know, there ain't no way, but you know, Oh yeah. He, he's very, well, that was very, the problem. Like, the first 20 pages I wrote for. Yeah. yeah. No, the first 20 pages I wrote for him or so I tried to write in his voice. That's a big part of ghostwriting is you try to make it sound like what you believe they would sound like. Yeah. And it was all his voice that I knew from interviews. So, you know, you know, uh, you, you know, a lot of carny talk, a lot of, you know, yeah. uh, kind of stereotypical character. And he said, that's not really me. You know, he's like, that's what you <laughs> see of me on TV. So we need to go back and touch it up because he didn't want to be looked at as the, uh, the carny wrestler that, you know, yeah. um, is using all that lingo everywhere. So uh, I had to dra- redraft, but. <laughs> hey, it'll be worth it in the end. So, well, I appreciate your time today. Yeah, it'll be cool. And I'll be looking for those books coming out. And thank you so much for coming on here. I know you're a busy man. And um, folks, look for Kenny Casanova's books, as as, uh, coloring books coming out and, and everything else. Kenny, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you, sir. All right.